Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. In a moment, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I believe it's so essential and so important if we want to join together with God to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in the earth today in manifesting His glory around the world in here, of course, this locality where He's called us to, then we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost and we need to know how to pray in the Holy Ghost and, and just join forces together with God to release His miracle power here in our midst and make way for His glory. But before we get there, I want to share with you some things. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 12 with me. Uh, for, for the, in the prior verses, the verses previous to the, these verses, it says that He gave us the fivefold ministry. And why did He give us the fivefold ministry? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and through the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. High expectations He has of us. A mature believer, in other words, unto the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. Oh my, did he really say that? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait and deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Well, just like any earthly father here upon the earth, our heavenly father, wants all of his children to grow up and become responsible, God-fearing adults. He wants us to mature spiritually so that we can represent him well here upon this earth and impact as many lives as we possibly can with the message of the gospel. Well, as I said, he gave us the five-fold ministry in order to accomplish this in our lives. And of course, we need to enlist the five-fold ministry in order to do that. But I want to share with you some thoughts tonight about the elements of our Christian faith so that we can position ourselves to grow and develop and become more mature in our walk with the Lord. And I want to set it up so that we can finally finish or conclude with this all-meaningful and powerful baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire so that we can have a fresh renewal of this wonderful work of the Spirit of God in our lives so that we can... Open up our hearts completely to Him and allow Him to manifest His glory in us and through us so that we can be effective and efficient in carrying out the purpose of His will. Because the work of God is not done by human effort alone. It is a supernatural work. It's an all-powerful work. It's engaging the powers of, of Almighty God from on high as He manifests Himself in us and through us individually as well as collectively here among the believers. So first, number one, the first element that's important for us to understand is that of justification. Justification. In the book of Romans chapter 4, chapter 3, I believe it is, in verse 24, and this is from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance 
he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Notice, not only is he just, but he is our justifier. In other words, he's the one who justified us. And to justify us means he made us innocent, guiltless, without guilt before his presence. The subject or the element of justification is this. You and I could never have been made right before God. That would have been impossible on our part. We could have never done it. And as a result, we would have spent eternity separated from God in a place called the lake of fire, in eternal suffering. But, aren't you glad for that but? But God so loved us, He did what was necessary to justify us in His sight. It took the precious blood of Jesus Christ to justify us or make us without guilt and innocent before God. That is the element of justification in a nutshell. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful. I am so grateful to God for washing me in the blood of His Son so I can stand upright before Him, holy, without spot, without blemish, irreprovable in His sight. Not by my performance, but by the performance of Jesus, hallelujah, the Holy Son of the living God. Are you glad for that? Oh, hallelujah. Number two, regeneration. Regeneration. 2 Corinthians 5.17 teaches us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation or creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. I'll tell you what. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Justification is a wonderful thing. And in reality, do you realize every person on the planet stands justified before God? But not everybody on the planet have, has received justification? Even though it's available, if it has not been received, then it's not a reality. It's only when a person says yes to Christ and invites Him into his heart to be Savior and Lord of his life, that he then experiences regeneration and stands justified before the throne of Almighty God. And he could stand there before the throne of God, having passed from death to life. Look at John 5.24. Man, this is one of the most, if not the most important days of our lives. Yeah, we were born into this world, and thank God that we've been born into this world, but look at this. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Hallelujah. What a time to shout. Beloved, if we haven't passed from death to life now, when we leave this realm, we're not going to pass from death to life then. One day, as we all were dead in our sin, someone told us about the cross. Someone told us about the blood. Someone told us about the sacrifice that Jesus made and how it was impossible for us ever to be made right before God. 
And we had a decision to make. And we said yes to Jesus. And when we did, he came into our hearts. He regenerated our spirit. He gave us a brand new heart and a brand new life. And he took us out of the throes of death and placed us into the kingdom of life. And praise God, we've passed from death into life. And we're now alive in Jesus. And when we leave this realm of life, we will experience eternity with him in a glorified state oh thank you thank you thank you jesus i don't know about you but that blesses my soul what about you and then the third one is sanctification now this is sometimes hard for people to get a hold of because it's challenging but in second corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 after in chapter 6 thoroughly talking about our body is to be used for the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, talked about this on Sunday. Your body and my body has been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus paid for our body and our spirit, and they belong to him, for they are God's. And we're told to glorify him in our body and our spirit, which belong to him, right? Well, if they, if they both belong to him, and he's living in us, and I'm living in this body as well. I owe him rent. I'm indebted to him. Because you see, I'm living in the body that he owns. So I'm indebted to him. What do I owe him? I owe it to him to love as he loved me. I owe it to him to walk even as he walked. I owe it to him to see to it that I live my life in a way that's pleasing to him and not myself. And so he goes on to say here, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, doing what? Perfecting or maturing in holiness in the fear of God. Out of reverence for God, it is up to us to do our part now. See, we're sanctified and we're made holy internally, positionally. But it has to manifest externally and practically. So that we can be more Christ-like. So this is talking about our conduct and our character. And as we grow more mature in the Lord, we should be being changed from glory to glory. So that we can look more like Him, act more like Him, talk more like Him, walk more like Him. So that we can manifest His glory, His presence through our lives. And this is called spiritual maturity. We are growing up and developing spiritually. And the next, that brings us to our next point here. Transformation transformation in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God the word transformed metamorpho in the Greek it means that we morph like a caterpillar into a butterfly we morph we're changed we're transformed from glory to glory. God wants transformed lives. He wants to see us growing and maturing each year that goes by. So the more mature we become in the Lord as the years go by, once again, we look more like Him. We act more like Him. We talk more like Him. We think more like Him. In the book of James chapter 1 and verse 21, these are the elements of our Christian faith. These are the things, the underlying principles upon which we build our lives. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness 
and receive with meekness the engrafted word that is able to do what? Save your souls. These people are already born again. He's not talking about them being born again. He's talking about being delivered from their corrupt reasoning faculties. In chapter 1 of James, he talks about how their thinking was wrong. They blame God for their problems. They blame God for their trials. They blame God for their tribulations. They blame God for their persecutions and afflictions and all the things that they were going through as they were scattered abroad. And James says, you're wrong. God is not the culprit. He's not the force behind what you're going through. He's the one you should be thanking for the power that he gives you to overcome whatever it is that you're going through in life. So don't err, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variable that's neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. He gave birth to us. And so it's up to us to do what? Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. If not, this means stop thinking the way you've been thinking and start thinking right. Get your thinking straightened out. How? Receive with meekness the engrafted word that will deliver you from that corrupt way of thinking. And so we all need to be delivered from our corrupt way of thinking. Because when we first get saved, we don't think the way God wants us to think. Our thinking is different. We're still thinking in line with the old man, the way the old man was taught to think. And we're thinking in line with our five physical senses that tell us it has to be the way it is as far as how we see and hear and feel and taste and smell the five senses. But he says, no, you've got to stop that way of thinking. God is not your problem. God is your problem solver. He's the one that helps us get through uh, the trials we face in life. Well, then, of course, we need the word. The next element of our walk with God, our Christian faith is we need the word of God. Because without the word of God, how in the world are we going to get our minds renewed? We don't know how God wants us to think. And he doesn't just sit around and tell us, you know, come in my office. I'm going to talk to you about the way you think. Look in the Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable or beneficial for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction of righteousness that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice he's promoting our spiritual growth and development. But notice how it comes. We get a hold of the Word of God. We get a hold of Scripture. And the Scripture teaches us the way God thinks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so we want to start thinking the way God thinks. When we line up our thinking with the way God thinks, transformation takes place. Mind renewal takes place. We are corrected in, let's say, our conduct, our character, our behavior, our speech, the way we... Uh, Deal with people and situations in life. Our minds are renewed to act according to the Word of God and think in line with the Word of God so that we can experience change. Next, another element is the element of water baptism. And this is so important. And, and it's so important because sometimes people think because I was baptized as a baby in water um, that that's sufficient. But in actuality, it's not. Because the Scripture teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 6, that when a person is baptized in water, it's an act of his will. And it's, it's involving an understanding of what he's doing as far as identifying with the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus on high. Look at the scripture. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That is like, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, 
that our old man is crucified with him. Now believers are to crucify the flesh. And this act of water baptism is saying that I am willing to crucify my flesh and live for him and not for myself. That the body of sin might be destroyed so that sin has no dominion over us. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Notice the message here. I'm baptized in water. I am crucifying my flesh. I am not going to allow it to dictate to my life. We mind the flesh, it's enmity against God. If we mind the spirit, praise God, it produces life. And so we would rather walk in life than death. Amen? And so what do we do? We crucify. We put to death what the flesh wants to do. And you know as well as I do, the flesh wants to act up all the time. It wants to do its own thing, act its own way. And as a result, of course, it's destroyed many relationships and also many churches. Number seven, I kind of lumped these together because Jesus put them together in the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought they just fit together well. The next element is the element of giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. And we see here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, 5, and I think 16. Okay, look at this. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So he's talking about giving here, first of all. Then look at verse 5. And when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have the reward. So he's talking about praying, giving and praying. And third discipline is fasting. Look at verse um, 16, I believe it is. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have the reward. So these three disciplines are to be a part of a Christian's life. So we are to give, and giving demonstrates our faithfulness to support the work of God here upon the earth. We are to pray, and that shows humility, because we can't do it alone. We need His divine assistance and divine enablement and power. We need His help. We join forces together with Him to accomplish His purposes here upon the earth. And then we fast. Why do we fast? What's the, force, what's the reason behind fasting? To humble ourselves before God. And as we humble ourselves before God, what did he say he would do? He would lift us up. And so we practice these disciplines. This is an element of our Christian experience. Why? To show ourselves faithful to God. To humble ourselves before him. And to see to it that uh, we also show hunger. And, And this is so important. I don't know about you. But we hunger for God. We will humble ourselves before Him. And we will cry out from the depth of our soul to experience a greater manifestation of His presence, power, and glory in our lives. He says, it's those that hunger and thirst that shall be filled. Are we hungry? Are we thirsty for the things of God? We live in a society that really doesn't lend itself to that. Because we're pretty much satisfied with the way we live here in America. But you know what? I believe that God is calling upon hearts to become hungry before His presence. To get on their knees, bow before His presence, and say, I am not satisfied with where I'm at. I hunger and I thirst because I know there is more. I know there is a fullness beyond what I'm experiencing right now. And so, Father, my heart is crying out to you. I am waiting upon you. I am looking unto you. And I want more of you 
and your power and your glory in manifestation in my life. And I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to sacrifice. Look, without sacrifice, there's no fire, there's no glory. I'm willing to sacrifice to show that I hunger and I thirst. David said, I hunger and thirst for God as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see His power and His glory as I've seen Him in the sanctuary. I don't know about you, but praise God, every time we gather together, I expect God to show up. I'm expecting Him to show up and manifest Himself in powerful ways in our midst. I don't believe in us coming together just to be religious and say we put in our time and that we fulfilled an obligation. What about you? Are you here to be changed tonight? Are you here to be challenged tonight? Are you here to say, on high, Father, here I am. Shine the light of your scrutiny upon my life from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Expose what needs to be exposed. Burn up the chaff from my life. Fill me, flood me with your glory that I might shine as a light in a world of darkness everywhere I go. I want to give myself over to you in love and see to it that I love people the way Jesus loved me. This is my yearning, burning desire from within. I want people to talk to me and say, what's different about you? Why are you always so joyful? Why is it seems like no matter what you're going through, it seems like as though there's joy inside your heart. And it seems like you're always positive, always with this attitude. No problem, God's going to see me through. It's Jesus in me, the hope of glory. It's Jesus who said in his word, he always causes me to triumph. He's the one that said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, and I'll help you with your faith to do the same. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm longing for a greater manifestation of the glorious presence of Almighty God within our midst. Assembly is the next one. Number eight, assembly. Look in the book of Hebrews, another element of our Christian faith and experience. Assembly. And praise God, you're here tonight. You could be anywhere else tonight, but you're here tonight. Why? Because you love God. We are assembled together in His presence because we love Him. Look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24, 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Poke somebody next to you. See, I'm poking you, provoking you to love and to good works. Walk in love and do good deeds. Okay? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're here, praise God, to provoke one another, to love one another, to demonstrate good works, to look out for one another, to have each other's back, to bless each other, to lift up each other, to encourage each other, to have fellowship with each other. Praise God. What is he talking about? A family of God. Truly identifying a family where you can fellowship with other people and be encouraged and also to bring in your gift and use it for the honor and glory of God. Which I believe takes us to our next point. Look at the next one, ministry. Ministry. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. New Living Translation. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. In this place of assembly, we can use our gifts to serve one another well. We've all been, been given gifts, talents, and abilities by God. Spiritual impartations. And it doesn't have to be something so spectacularly spiritual, you know, like we're floating off somewhere in outer space. 
If God gifted you to play an instrument, play it for His glory. If God gifted you to sing, sing it for His honor and glory. If God gifted you to bake, bake me a pie tomorrow. If, I'm sorry, that, I don't know where that came from. Use, use your gift to bless someone. Use your gift, your talent, your ability. You write, write a letter to somebody that's off in college or off maybe out there serving our country. Encourage somebody in high school, whatever it might be. You gotta, can you coach someone, help someone? Whatever it is, whatever talent, whatever gift, whatever ability, we all have something to give. Use it to the honor and glory of the living God. And do it without parading yourself. In other words, do it in secret. And God will bless you publicly if you'll do it. But God has gifted every single one of us. And we all have a ministry. And that number one ministry is what? Reconciliation. Have we forgotten that ministry of reconciliation? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation to let everybody around us know they've been reconciled to God. It's already been done. They've been justified in the eyes of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. All they have to do is step in. You see, the universalists believe that because Jesus died on the cross for everyone, that everyone's saved. I guess they didn't read John's Gospel, the first chapter that says, He came to His own and his own received him not. But to those that received him, he gave power to become the sons of God. Even though the work's done, we've got to do our part. We've got to receive him as Savior and Lord of our lives. And so we have this, basically, ministry of, reconcil of reconciliation as well as being ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is representative of the highest order. Hallelujah. Can you imagine that? You are a representative of the highest order to let someone know that Jesus died for their sin-sick soul and to let them know they can be justified. They're justified already in the eyes of God. All they have to do is accept it. And if they will, they'll be born again. Next, communion and covenant. Oh, I wish I had time to teach on every one of these individually, but look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter um, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood. Which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Here we have communion and covenant. Communion and covenant. And what's this all about? For us to remember. See, the Israelites were told to remember the Passover. Remember how they were in slavery. Remember how they were so misused and abused by the Egyptians. And how hard they had it. And how they were considered lesser citizens and people on the planet. How they were mistreated on every angle. But remember, one day God heard your crying and your groaning and your desire to be released, to be delivered, to be set free. And one day when your cries went up to the throne of Almighty God, He spoke to a man named Moses from a burning bush. And He empowered him. He enabled him. He called him, he chose him to bring you out of Egyptian slavery. And he brought you out, and when you came out, 
the hand of God was upon you all the way through the wilderness to the Red Sea, to the promised land. And even though you didn't get under Moses, under Joshua, you got in. And here is a land that flows with milk and honey. Here is a place where God is blessing you and you're coming in, you're going out, you're rising up, you're lying down. He has blessed you beyond measure in a place called Canaan's land. Well, my brother and my sister, the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled. The Mosaic law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we've not been redeemed with the blood of bulls or goats, but we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we have a new covenant established upon better promises because of the better blood of Jesus Christ that speaks better things than that of Abel's. And that blood tells me I'm no longer just a servant. I'm a son of the Most High God an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus, and the hand of God is upon every single one of us. We've been born of the Spirit. We've been washed in the blood, and we have an anchor for our soul. The covenant and communion tell us, I was once not in Egypt, but I was once in the kingdom of darkness. I was a slave to the devil himself. But praise God Almighty, he saw my sin sick soul. He saw my feet in the miry clay. He paid the price for me. And when I said yes to Jesus, he bent down by his spirit and pulled me up out of the miry clay and put me in life from death in his kingdom of love and light and life. And praise God Almighty, we're now washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we have a covenant, and that covenant has a guarantee or a surety. He's not just my high priest. He's not just my mediator. He's not just my advocate before the Father. He's not just my intercessor. He is my surety. He is my guarantee that stands behind every word of the covenant to see to it that it's made good on my behalf and your behalf if I just but call upon His name and declare what His word says to be true. Amen. And in Psalm 89 and verse 34, you know what he said? He said, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the word that's gone out of my mouth, out of my lips. Once I swear, he said in the next verse, I will not lie. In Hebrews chapter 6, he said, verses 17 through 19, we are the heirs of, of promise. He said to us to let us know we can trust him, we can believe in him. What did he say? I swore by myself, I have sworn by an oath, I will not lie. And this you can anchor your soul to. Praise God. You can find a promise, I will fulfill it, and you can anchor your soul to it. I'll bring it to pass. It gives us confidence and assurance before the throne of God. It enables us to stand there in faith. You see, it is the foundation for our faith. The blood covenant and the work of Jesus. And communion says, you did it all, Jesus. You did it all, Jesus. You brought us up. You brought us out. You did it all. He said, remember me. Remember me. When you're having a bad day, remember him. When it seems like the bill is not going to get paid, remember Him. When it seems like our body's not responding, remember Him. When it seems like as though that maybe that child's gone astray, remember Him. Hallelujah. Don't limit Him to you and to what you know and to what you think or what I think and what I know. Don't limit Him to ourselves. Let it be unlimited, praise God, by saying, it doesn't matter what I hear, see, feel, taste, smell. Father, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on the cross. My eyes are on you. And I'm believing you. Hallelujah. To meet the need. 
You've already done it in Christ. I'm accepting it. Praise God. The next one. The one we all really love to talk about. Suffering. Suffering. Let's put it in its proper place and perspective. Suffering. Look at the First Peter chapter 4. Only this time in verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. Okay, Peter, where are we going with this? We're all going to get tried by the devil, are we not? In the world, you're going to have tribulation, right? He's going to try our faith. So don't think it's strange that you're being challenged. But rejoice. In so as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Think about, just think about those verses right there. Just think about what he said there. It is not natural to rejoice in suffering. It is not natural to shout and celebrate when we're going through a trial or a tribulation. But you know what? If we remember what James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have a perfect work. You'll be perfect and entire wanting nothing. If we remember that, and if we remember what Peter just said, you're all going to have trials and tribulations. But rejoice so the spirit of glory can rest upon you. Hallelujah. What can stand before the presence of Almighty God? When the glory of God is in manifestation because we rejoice, there is victory along the way. So rejoice and be glad. When they were persecuted, the apostles, what did they do? They went away, away celebrating that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. We're not talking sickness. We're not talking disease. We're talking about suffering for living a godly lifestyle in, a realm, in this realm in which we live. Think about where we're at in our society today, right here in America. Really, conservatism and being a Christian is being attacked from every angle. Wouldn't you agree? Right. So we should start rejoicing all the more and shouting out under the throne of Almighty God. It doesn't matter what man does. You are greater in us than he that is in this world. And we're going to shout it from the mountaintops. Hallelujah. Glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe you're bigger than our government. You're bigger than whatever's going on in the world today. You're greater, praise God. Sometimes I chuckle when I hear people talking about the end times and what's going to happen. Talking about it's the end of the world. Are you kidding me? We've got seven years of tribulation after the rapture. We've got 1,000 years left after that of the remittal reign of Christ. And then, praise God, we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. There's a lot of time left, my brother and my sister. But right now, let's rejoice and be glad. No matter what's going on, let's celebrate in Jesus and let Him. Look at Second um, Timothy chapter 3. If this doesn't make you shout... Get a new shouter. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. 
But it's not like a picnic, does it? Not at all, does it? What's the next word? But. But. Hallelujah. Out of half of them. How many of them? Out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But can we also say, but if you delivered Paul, you're my father too, then you will deliver me out of all the persecution, all the suffering, all whatever it is that comes our way. So in other words, crying may be endured for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. So let's maintain our focus. Look at the next one, eschatology. Eschatology, 2 Peter chapter 3. If this doesn't wake us up, whew, I don't know. We need, a, we need something more profound. I don't know how we get more profound than this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Eschatology is talking about end time events. Things that are definitely going to happen. Okay. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also shall be, uh, and, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. What motivation? Powerful motivation. This is uh, obviously given to us so that we can understand and know there is a reason why we are to walk with him as we walk and serve him as we do. Now, that's going to happen down the road somewhere. Like I said, seven years of tribulation after the rapture, 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ. But still, it's going to happen. Aren't you glad that you and I will never have to see any of that? I know there are some out there that say they're going to go through the tribulation. Well, have fun. I'm missing it. I didn't get a ticket. I didn't get a stamp. I'm, I'm not paying for it. I'm not doing it. Now, if they want to, that's okay. But I've been stamped with the blood of the Lamb. And when that trumpet sounds, I'm going to hear it. Even if my body's in the grave, my body's going to hear it and rise up. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Then seven years of tribulation, then 1,000 year millennial reign, and that's when the world will really know true peace. And then after all that, when the battle of Gog and Magog takes place, is when the new heavens and the new earth will appear. And this will, will be purged by fire. So you see, we have a lot of time left. But guess what? We should be motivated right now to live as if it was going to happen tomorrow. Amen? Oh Lord, I just want your best for my life and for all of us. And then finally, we made it. Finally, number 13. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost, the Spirit baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire. Look in the book of Acts chapter 1. This is fresh from the resurrection. This is fresh from Jesus 
going to the throne, offering his blood, coming back to earth, showing himself alive. And now he's about to ascend on high and be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And being assembled together with them, commanded them. Notice, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. In other words, this is what I've told you. For John truly baptized with water, and we know that wasn't the repentance. But you, you shall be baptized, immersed with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And really it was ten days after this. But what are they going to be baptized in and with? Before Jesus left, he promised to send another comforter. One just as he was and is. He wasn't going to leave them forlorn. He's not going to leave them helpless, orphans. But he says, I'm sending one of the same kind. I'm sending my spirit who will indwell each and every one of you. And so he tells them, look, this is a promise that's been made. And when I get to heaven, he's going to come. But So go there and wait and do not even attempt to fulfill the great commission without being baptized in the Holy Ghost with fire. That's what he tells them. So apparently it must be important, wouldn't you say? Remember, he taught them for three and a half years. He even taught them when he came back and appeared to them. I'm sure when he cooked those fish for him, there was some dialogue going on about certain things, wouldn't you say? So he taught them some things. Now he says, no, 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 don't you go off and do anything. I know you're excited right now because I've been raised from the dead and you've seen me, but do not step out and fulfill the Great Commission without receiving power from on high, without being baptized with the Holy Ghost. So another element of our Christian walk in faith is being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized in water, wonderful, but now we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And look at verse 8 of the same chapter, what he says. But ye shall receive power. This is not salvation. This is not regeneration. The word power is dunamis. What will they receive? Miracle working power. When? After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be. Notice, you shall be. He will make you what I want you to be. You're going to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you'll be empowered from on high to be my witness. In other words, you are going to receive something called the baptism in the Holy Spirit that's going to provide for you an added dimension of spiritual power for both life and ministry. This manifestation of the Spirit of God is like the climax of all that the Father wanted to do in our lives. You're ready for it? He reconciled us to himself by the blood of his Son. In other words, this is the temple of the Holy Ghost or the temple of the living God. He cleansed it from the filth of spiritual death and being occupied by the, the kingdom of darkness who ruled our hearts and ruled our minds before salvation. Well, he cleansed us from our sin by washing us in the blood. And now we become a temple. Like Solomon's beautiful temple that's made with all the 
the pomp and circumstance, all that's placed in it, the gold and the silver and the brass, the bronze, I mean, everything that's in there, the, the, the money is beyond comprehension. It's a beautiful edifice. But you know what? It didn't house the glory yet. Once it was prepared and the sacrifice was made, the fire came down and the Shekinah glory filled the whole house where they were. And there was such a manifestation of the manifested presence of God that they could not even stand to minister for by reason of the cloud of God's glory. Beloved, you and I have become the temple of the living God. And He cleansed our sin-sick soul with the blood of His Son. And we're now that very temple of God. And the next thing was this, the Shekinah glory of Almighty God that He sent on the day of Pentecost was to enter into those cleansed temples so that the very manifested presence of the living God would manifest in each and every single one of them and empower them and equip them for service to be His witness and also for life, for ministry and for life. So, in other words, this is the ultimate. This is what God wanted to do. Not just save us, but fill us with the fullness of His glory, His presence, and power. And when people say, well, if you've been saved, you've got it all already. Really? Well, then why did Jesus say, you're already saved now, but go and wait in Jerusalem in an upper room until you're filled with Holy Ghost power? There's another dimension of supernatural power other than just being born again. Not that we minimize being born again at all. Thank God we've been born again washed in the blood of the Lamb. But that's phase one. Hallelujah. Thank God for phase two. The Shekinah glory entering into us and just flooding our souls with glory that we house the very glory of God. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The day of Pentecost came. And when that day came, praise God, they were all baptized in the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. Every single one of them. In other words, it's for every individual person. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God. Now we have this phase two, this infilling of the Spirit, this baptism with the Spirit. And they don't know what to expect. This is not of man. This is of God. This has never happened before on the planet. But all of a sudden now the Holy Ghost descends. This is His dispensation. And when He comes, He enters in. There is a cloven tongue like as a fire. Hallelujah. And then He enters into their spirit. And they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. He's, they're talking and magnifying God. And then it happens. In chapter 2, what beginning at verse 14, Peter then begins to preach. Cowardly Peter, who denied Christ three times, who is hiding from, from all the leaders, the religious leaders of the day, because he's, in, he's afraid for his life. is somewhat emboldened because he sees Christ from the dead. But now on the day of Pentecost, right before the presence of all those that wanted to kill him, he now identifies himself as being a follower of Christ and boldly 
proclaims the gospel, the resurrection, to all the same people that wanted to crucify him, kill him. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned in the darkness, and the moon in the blood, before that great and noble day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. So what is this divine enablement for? To, to give us boldness, praise God, for ministry and for life. To stand unashamed, emboldened with power and authority and let the world know that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lord of all. And he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he shouted it from the mountaintops, praise God, to all the people with no fear whatsoever. God wants us all filled with Holy Ghost power. Yes, he proclaimed Joel's prophecy, but he also proclaimed the resurrection from the dead, and he indicted all those that consented to his death. And right there before them all, he did it unashamedly and without fear or intimidation. He boldly proclaimed it, and wow, what a mighty work. Real quick, then we'll close. Um, these here points here because we're going to pick this up because this is what really, I really want to get to because I do believe praise God Almighty that as we spend more time praying in tongues praying in the Holy Ghost we are going to give place to a work of God I believe that he wants to do that goes beyond our comprehension but it's important that we understand that praying in the spirit is what generates miracle power look at the importance of tongues I'm telling you, the devil has done everything he possibly can to stop people from praying in tongues. From doctrine saying it's not for today, and it's passed with the apostles, and all that sort of thing. But you know what? The Pentecostal movement is the most... Uh, it's, it's flourishing. It is growing faster than any movement on the planet. By millions. Because people want the supernatural. Okay, let's real quick. How important are tongues? It's the visible proof of being filled with the Holy Ghost. We're not going to read the scriptures. Just going to give them to you. It's the visible proof. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't want anything less than what they had. Uh, number two, Jews and Gentiles both needed it. In Acts chapter 2, the Jews got it. In Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles got it. And who did it? The Father did in both the Jews camp and the, and the Gentile camp. So in other words, this is a work of God. Who's going to stand against the work of God? Am I going to stand against the work of God? Mm -mm. Look at number three. It convinced the leaders and Peter that Gentiles could be saved in Acts chapter 11. Read it for yourself. You realize that? Peter was called into question because he went into the house of a, of a Gentile. What are you doing eating in the house of a Gentile? He said, I, an angel appeared to me. I was in a trance. appeared to me. told me to go over to this guy's house. I went over to this guy's house. And he told me what, the vision that he had. And I went in there. I'm just talking about Jesus here and, and what he had done for them. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God fell. When he fell, they all got filled with the Holy Ghost like we did. Who was I to withstand God? I like that response, don't you? 
So it convinced Peter, and he said, should we not provide water so they can be baptized? And they said, yeah, I guess so. It looks like the Jews, it looks like the, the Gentiles also can be saved. How important was it? Important enough to let them know that, yes, he's accepted the Gentiles into the family of God. Aren't you glad he accepted the Gentiles? Yeah. I know I am. Next one, we speak divine secrets to God. I believe that we have within each and every one of us the mind of God, the plan of God, the blueprints that God wants to draw up for our lives or that He has drawn up, and we can bring them up out of our spirit by praying in the Holy Ghost. He can give direction to our spirits, illumination to our minds, divine secrets. We are contacting in heaven. Heaven and heaven has given us what we need. Look at the next one. We charge up our spiritual batteries. We charge up our spiritual batteries. Anybody got a phone tonight, an iPhone with you tonight, or some kind of a phone? No, you don't have one. Well, if you have one, it's good to have it charged up. Doesn't do you much good if there's no charge, right? I don't know about you, but I need charged up. What about you? My battery needs to be charged up every single day because it gets drained every single day with just life itself. And when you and I plug into the supernatural power of the Spirit by praying in the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you there's no faster way than to get charged up, praise God. It bumps on the inside of you. It begins to overflow you. And then it shifts gears on you. And you might be driving on the highway, praise God. And you think you're driving a stick shift when you're really not. You're driving an automatic. But it just begins to rise up inside you. It takes you to another level. And it stirs up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Then you start prophesying and sometimes interpreting your tongue and all that. You've connected with heaven, praise God. And you're setting some things in motion that are beyond you and beyond me. You see, the primary use of tongues is not in the church public, publicly, but in private devotional life. And it can be used publicly as well, but we'll get into that more. Next one. You want your battery charged up? Get filled with the Holy Ghost and pray in tongues. Our spirit is praying. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, our spirit prays. Your spirit prays when you're praying in tongues. He says, I'll pray with my understanding, which is my intellect, but also with my spirit in other tongues. And seven, we give thanks well. This is the month of Thanksgiving. We're going to give thanks to God. And there's no better way to give thanks to God than to do it in other tongues, praise God, because it eliminates selfishness in our thanksgiving. Oh, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for helping me and all that. Now you just, you just spew it out in tongues. You don't know what you're saying, but he says, I like that. Now that's good stuff. You're doing well. You see, you eliminate the selfishness. Hallelujah. And then it's a spiritual refreshing with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto this people. For this is the refreshing, the refreshing. You want to be refreshed? Hallelujah. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world, 
through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.